Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome to another episode of History for Weirdos. What's going on, weirdos? I'm glad to be back. We're always glad to be back. Always. I will say, as we begin this episode, little disclaimer, I have a cold. (laughs) I've had a cold all weekend. So if I sound stuffy, it's because I'm stuffy. And honestly, this is kind of my bad, guys, because I had a cold beforehand. I got a cold like literally the day after my birthday. Mm -hmm. And I was just sick all this last week. And then you got sick as soon as I started feeling better. Yeah, that is true. It is your fault. Thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. And if you're not married, uh, weirdos, I'm talking more to like my male listeners. Um, Once you get married, you know, assuming if you marry a woman, um, it's, you're going to get blamed a lot. So you just have to get used to it. (laughs) You blamed yourself. I know. Guys, it was a preemptive blame. Oh my goodness. Just lessening it, you know, for myself in the future. You're so... Odd. Unsolicited marriage advice. Let's go. That's so terrible advice. I'm, <laughs> I'm too tired to fight back, though. Um, also, if you are watching this episode on our Patreon, where you could see full-length episodes, you will see that I'm wearing some funky spectacles to hide how sad and tired I look. <laughs> I also look like I'm hungover because we're like sitting in the dark in our apartment. With, just for the ambiance with though. the sunglasses but i'm not hungover. i'm just sick uh and speaking of patreon this is a reminder we recently launched our patreon on andrew's birthday what what and it's been really exciting it's been so fun already to get to interact with folks more on patreon we have uh different tiers that you can look at all of this information will be in the show notes and i want to shout out one of our patrons actually because they shared a really interesting history fact. So if you've been a listener for a while, you know that Andrew's specialty is... You tell me. What is it? Ancient history, ancient Rome, (laughs) more specifically the Roman Republic, the late Republic. Absolutely. If I'm getting more specific. Yeah, you know me too well. That's (laughs) that's very spot on. And what is my one of my special interests in history? So either the Tudors or Victorian England. Yep. The Tudors is what this lovely patron named Perry Ortega commented on on one of our posts. He shared a really interesting fact. He said that he loves Tudor history as well and that Anne Boleyn is one of his favorite historical figures. She's one of mine also. And he brought up that through her line, Prince William will be um, is related to her through Diana. So when he ascends to the throne, when his dad passes away, probably kind of soon, not going to lie, then Anne Boleyn's line will be at the head of the throne again. For the first time since... since Elizabeth. Yeah, like the early 1600s. Isn't that wild? That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, so thank you so much, Perry, for sharing that. Yeah, Perry, that's an amazing fact. I thought that was so cool. Um, And that's one of the things that I'm loving already about our Patreon, so... 
I've rambled about it enough. If you're interested, check it out in the show notes. And I think there might be like a couple more slots of the the um, super weirdo mm. and ultimate weirdo like tier. So if you're one of the next few people to join, I, you'll get the free gift. I, I haven't, I don't think we've hit quite yet, hit the 25 mark. So we're almost there. There's only, it's like only two or three more left. So you guys got to do it fast. If you want that free gift, it would be pretty cool. I'm get on lie. that weirdos. It's going to be cool. So Andrew, tell us what story figure time and history are you going to regale us with today? Okay. So I have a really interesting for the for you guys this week. Um, yeah, tell us. We have covered ill-fated queens uh, before who have risen against the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and you know, as Shout I out said, Boudica, Boudica, and Zenobia. Mm-hmm. If you guys haven't listened to those episodes, definitely do so after this one. But each time they rose up in revolt against Rome, it, it didn't work out well for them, Mm-mm. like most people. If I'm being honest. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> but this week, we're going to highlight yet again another queen who stood against the might of Rome, but actually prevailed. Mm-hmm. This is very rare. Mm. The fact that A, someone prevailed against Rome, but B, it was a woman. Yeah. This is going to be cool. This is this is like a deep cut, y'all. So there are not too many leaders, again, in antiquity who stood against Rome and lived to tell the tale. This is definitely one of those. Mm-hmm. We're going to cover Queen Amanorenus. She was the queen of Kush, defender of her people against the most powerful empire of the world at the time. Wow. And she even infamously slighted Caesar Augustus personally. Oh, snap. And if you don't know who Caesar Augustus was, he was the first Roman emperor. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into that a little bit later in the story. For now, before we dive into her life, let's talk about Kush. Yeah, give us some context. The kingdom of Kush. Not the other thing you know. Not the other Kush. Not the other Kush. <laughs> kingdom of Kush, Fair you enough. guys. So the kingdom of Kush had been around in like in some sort of incarnation for thousands of years by mm-hmm. this point in our story. Oh, wow. So Kush was situated just south of ancient Egypt and would comprise, you know, southern egypt and northern sudan in the present day okay so like with the power base among like kind of the nile mm-hmm. i think in the nile like just right before like it splits off into like its two main tributaries yeah like, in, the, in the south okay so you said southern egypt northern sudan correct and i just want to shout out um sudan because they're having a civil war right now and a lot of people aren't talking about it it's being called the forgotten war already and this is like their third civil war in i think less than 70 years um so i i've recently actually just did some more research and educated myself on it educated myself on ways to help the sudanese refugees so just a reminder to the weirdos i know you all are very informed involved people so definitely look into that as well thank you yeah no you're absolutely right this it's very coincidental because this war yeah. is kind of all also forgotten in antiquity that's so and only until recently has like interest garnered again because there's just this one random account that talks about it and that's it no one else references it oh my gosh so it's very interesting from that perspective but also you're right like it is I sadly I don't know a whole lot about it. I know some of the very basics, and that's it. Yeah. And you're right; it is a terrible, terrible thing that's going on. But yeah, 
Um, this is why we, you know, also learn history. It helps to inform the present. It gives context. Exactly. No, I yeah. couldn't have said it better myself. You're hundred percent correct. Yeah. But sorry, go back to your story. So this area of Kush, it's, is also the site of what's called the Kerma culture, mm. which can be dated around 4,500 years ago. So that was like kind of like the pre, the precursor to the Kushites. Okay. They, um, so like Egypt, the civilization had been around for a very long time, mm-hmm. but it was definitely distinct from Egypt. Yeah. Uh, similar but distinct. So writings about the area go back all the way to 2300 BC, you know, around that time from mm-hmm. old Egyptian sources, mm. as these two powers would trade back and forth between each other. Yeah. You know, pretty Makes standard. Sense. Yeah, especially pretty standard during the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. Um, although it wouldn't always be as peaceful as that, mm-hmm. because around 1500 BC, Pharaoh Thutmose I, he's one of like the great Egyptian leaders or pharaohs, he would capture the area. Oh, wow. So he would become pharaoh of not only Egypt, but also the Kushites. Wow. Um, so the Kushites, ironically, would return the favor uh, about 800 years later, more or less. And the 25th dynasty of Egypt would actually be Kushites or, oh or Nubians. The two terms are you often used interchangeably. Yes. Um, Nubia refers to the geographic area, whereas Kush is usually more of like the political entity in the geographic area. Wow. That's a really good distinction to know. Yeah. Very I fancy. Th- thought of that all by myself, guys. <laughs> so um, while we're on the subject, here's also a fun fact. Mm-hmm. So here's a history fact for you guys. Mm-hmm. Did you know that there are more pyramids in Nubia than there are in Egypt? No. Now you do. Oh my gosh. I never hear about Nubian pyramids. Yeah. Even though it's really interesting. So like pre-dynastic Egypt, I think there was more blending of the two kind of areas than Mm -hmm. we often think of today. Okay. And especially than we often think of even in antiquity. Hmm. But I mean, this would, this would be like before the Pharaohs. So Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of years ago. To think about people before the Pharaohs. Yeah. I know there were like what we call pharaohs in upper Egypt. So that's Southern Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. But this is, we know nothing about it because this would be in the fourth millennium BC. That's wild. Yeah. It's, it's really weird because their, their culture is completely alien to us. We don't know their writings. We don't know anything about them. We just have the archeology. Yeah. So, but kind of going back to our narrative, the influence of both Kush and Egypt would wane under newer, even more powerful threats, you know, starting with the Assyrians during the 8th and 7th centuries BC, then the Persians during the 6th century, and even Alexander the Great, a Macedonian yeah. Greek, would become pharaoh during the 4th century BC, and Greeks would continue to rule Egypt for, you know, roughly the next 300 or so years. Mm-hmm. So... All of this to say that the old, once powerful kingdoms have themselves either been conquered or have had to contend with very powerful invaders at their doorsteps. Yeah. So during the first century BC, the Romans are starting to get much more involved in Egyptian affairs. They really liked the culture, right? The history. They did. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely one aspect. Um, Another is that, you know, a lot of the Ptolemaic dynasty, mm-hmm. um, either contenders or like, you know, they'd fight amongst themselves. A lot of the time they would, um, Ptolemaic Egypt had long been allied with Rome. 
Oh. One of the Hellenistic powers that was always on, always allied with Rome. Okay. And so they uh, would often go to Rome, like, you know, a Ptolemy would go to Rome and say, hey, my brother took the throne. Like, you need to adjudicate me to be on the throne. And the Romans would be like, okay, fine. Yeah. You're the friend of the Roman people. Let's go and, like, take care of it. Wow. That happened multiple times, even all the way up to, like, Cleopatra's time. Mm-hmm. So... It's very complex. I'm not going to get into like the details because it's not important for the story, but just know um, that in 30 BC, Caesar Augustus becomes more or less the undisputed master of the Roman Republic and takes control of Egypt as well. Yeah. Um, he, you know, a couple of years later would be given the moniker of Augustus. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the consequence of all of this, right? The Romans now, instead of fighting civil wars with each other, they're at peace, like within the empire, right? Mm-hmm. So they can now focus on external things. Expansion. Expansion, exactly. Mm-hmm. And Augustus was 100% interested in that. Mm-hmm. So before we finally move on to the protagonist of this episode, I want to talk about the leaders of Kush, the Kandakis, mm. or Kandakes, excuse me. We know very little about them, but we know that these rulers were all queens. Mm. So the, that's right. The Kush was more of a queendom at times as opposed to a kingdom. That's so cool. Not necess- not like exclusively, but right. far more than you know contemporaries in other areas. And I'd never heard of that before. That's so interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like when or why this happened, mm-hmm. it's completely unclear. Yeah. Um, to me, though, it's always interesting to see either like a matriarchal or like quasi matriarchal like society take form yes. because it is abnormal, especially in like the ancient world. Absolutely. It doesn't happen very often. Absolutely. Yeah. So who was Queen Amanorenus? Say that like three times really fast. Who was Queen Amanorenus? Who was Queen Amanorenus? Who was Queen Amanorenus? Okay. That's really good. I'm, I'm actually kind of <laughs> impressed. So it's the cold medicine. Yeah. So Queen Amanorenus, uh-huh. uh, or, and I'm I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce this in her native tongue. Oh shit. Um, Amnerense cor lil quidly lil. I think that was perfect. Yeah, that was I butchered that, but. <laughs> she but was, you made an effort. I made an effort. That's she what was, matters. She was born like around like 57 BC. That's a little while ago. A little while ago, and most likely in the capital city of Miro. Okay. We know nothing of her upbringing, so much is left to the imagination. Um, speaking of which, being raised in a tradition where there were so many powerful female leaders, um, that 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 like you know obviously came before you. I I have, find it very hard to imagine that she not she would have at least somewhat idolized them growing up. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Should we know? She was also a very skilled uh, and thoughtful ruler who's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades sort of person. Okay. So she was particularly adept in administration, in trade, and in defense. Wow, those are really good things to be good at. <laughs> right, exactly. Especially in the ancient world, you mm-hmm. want to be good at a lot of things. Uh, I mean, I guess that hasn't changed now. Yes, you <laughs> want a, a well-rounded ruler for sure. Exactly. And more importantly, she was a very capable military leader mm-hmm. and strategist, in which in the ancient world, that's everything, right? Yeah. That is the most important quality. Yeah, that's how your people will survive. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And she would ascend to the ultimate power in her land with the death of her husband. And I'm going to butcher this, guys, mm-hmm. but it's 
Territ de Casse. Mm-hmm. And that happened in around like 25 BC. So she wasn't born into being queen. She married into it. Yes. Yeah. We're she not was probably int- noble. Yes. Of noble birth. But I, we, she could have even been regal. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know. We much really of. know. No. Yeah. Because I just wonder, obviously, we don't have the answer for this, but that would affect how much or how little she was prepared for the throne. Exactly. Depending on like her, her birth status, I guess. That's a really good point of view. Yeah. I didn't think about it like that. So we also know that she had two titles. Mm. So I already mentioned Kandake, mm-hmm. but she was also uh, a core Q O R E Q O R E because she was hardcore, bruh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, guys. But in all seriousness, this does signify that she ruled in her own right. Okay. And as the title of core was usually reserved for like kings, even in the the more ancient past. Wow. So she was viewed as like a legitimate ruler. To the same level of a king. Exactly. Not just like, oh, you're a queen. Queen consort. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was like a queen regnant, I guess. That's so cool. Yeah. And so in essence, like she is a Kandake because she is a woman, but she also as a core has the legitimate authority. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? Yes, this does make sense. This is a really out of left field question. It is totally okay if you don't know the answer to this. Of course. But just since you're the ancient history expert, I was wondering if you happen to know, is this also what happened more or less with Queen Nefertiti? Oh, I don't know. I think if I'm remembering correctly, her husband was Pharaoh and then he dies and then she, she's like, I'll just rule this in, in, yeah. instead. I Everyone's th- like, yeah, we really like you. You keep doing it. That sounds familiar and I, I think believe that's correct. We could be making this up. We could completely be making this up. So you can fact check us on this one, guys. But that I think that sounds correct. Yeah. Weirdos, Google it. Google it. <laughs> Let us know. Oh, and then also kind of lastly, uh, going back to Amon Aranus, Yes. She had only one eye. What? Yeah. She was a monophthalmus. Oh my gosh. And we don't know if she was born that way. No, no. She was not born that way. Oh, okay. She lost it in battle. Oh, that's badass. Yeah, I know. Oh it my just, goodness. I, again, you, you literally, I have in my notes, I'm like, that just adds to her badass style. Absolutely. And you're 100% right. Yes. It's so cool. That gives you legitimacy. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, her medal, though, would, like, would absolutely be proven sooner rather than later. Oh, yes, yes. Tell us the, the so cheese <laughs> let's get back to Octavian slash the man who would become Augustus. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely crushing it at this period in time, right? It's crushing 30 BC. It. He's gained control of Egypt, and he ends essentially the longest Egyptian dynasty in history. That's and, true, the Ptolemaic dynasty. And this right. an- ends pharaonic dynasties like forever yeah it's a big deal it's a huge deal so the roman legions are now in egypt and are poised to launch expeditionary forces though in arabia okay um three years later the senate gives octavian like the official cognomen of augustus which means which means the venerated one mm-hmm. and it's basically an unprecedented level of power given to any one man in Rome going all the way back to the kings of Rome. Yeah. Like in the 6th century BC, mm-hmm. um, which would have been very foreign to the Romans at this point in time. 
Um, and he has pretty much like one goal in mind at this point in time. He's cause he's still young. He wants to expand Rome's domain mm-hmm. and he will do that. So let's look at this scenario from Kandake Amarinus's perspective. Okay. So this foreign power takes down the ruling dynasty, like on, like within your your neighbor. Yeah, your neighbors who've been the same people ruling exactly. for forever. And they've been pretty on pretty good terms yeah. for most of that, for like 300 years, right? Time. They're situated at your doorstep. Mm-hmm. And it's like this for basically four years until 26 BC when the prefect or you know governor of Egypt mm-hmm. is tasked with that invasion of the Arabian Peninsula. Mm-hmm. So that invasion actually is kind of interesting in its own right because it just is sort of a disaster but then also the romans do have some minor successes and it isn't really talked about very often augustus kind of like tries to sweep it under the rug (laughs) but we're history for weirdos we love that stuff yes exactly but like they basically make it all the way to southwestern yemen wow where like the houthis are now actually oh my goodness ironically enough um but we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about monoranus so she has this opening now where mm-hmm. essentially the m- majority of Roman legions are not in Egypt. So oh, she does yeah. something a little audacious. She invades like Southern Egypt the following year in 25 BC. Oh my goodness. She's not even like, I'm just going to sit here and be content that I'm like the Kandake slash the core. She also is like, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. And she does. Wow. Because, like, Rome at this point was already asking for tribute from... Of course they were. Yeah. And this was expected because a lot of other neighbors that didn't want to fight Rome were like, here, man, just take some money. Just take it. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. It's like the mob. Yeah, exactly. It kind of was. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how a lot of empires operated, like, in the ancient world, honestly. Mm -hmm. It was very mob-like. But Amonoranus, she was having none of that. She was like, no, thank you. I'm not into this. So with, like a, <laughs> with a force of around 30,000, they take the Egyptian Roman cities of Elephantine, Philae, and even Aswan. Oh my goodness. So, and it could be during this sort of conflict is when she loses her eye. Oh, snap. But we're not clear. Like the source, the one source on this is a Greco-Roman dude by the name of Strabo. Mm-hmm. And... He's he, not clear. He's not clear on anything. Of course. And he's he's a buddy with Augustus. So he's going to have a very, very... Bias pro, perspective. Yes. Pro-Augustus bias. These Roman historians, by the way, because we've cited them quite a few times, they tell stories like my tios do, <laughs> like at the end of the meal, <laughs> when it's late and they've been drinking some tequila. And I'm like, wait, what's happening here? I know. The I timelines got- are not adding up. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the old oracles or like the, those, those bards from like back in the day yes, that would sing the tales. Yes, that's them. Yeah. Yeah. Those are your tios. Those They're are basically tios. modern bards. Yes. They're modern day bards. They have little like stand up bits almost about it. It's amazing. I've seen it in action. Yes. It's and it is fun. very biased. It is very biased. Yeah. Usually though, if they're, they like you, it'll be a good bias. <laughs> <laughs> you say that cause they love you. That's true. They yes. do. And I like that. <laughs> so the kushites end up like enslaving hundreds possibly thousands of romans and egyptians oh my goodness <laughs> yeah during this time and while they're pillaging to add insult to injury they either destroy statues of augustus 
or take them back to Kush. Uh-oh. So kind of a little bit of an aside here. Statues were very important in the ancient world. Yeah. Especially for larger empires because think about it. Most of your population is illiterate and these statues point. can be used as a political tool to let everyone know I'm in charge. This is my face. I'm the I'm the master now. Yeah, they hold great influence. You're right. That's such a great point to make that most people are illiterate. So it's not like you're going to send out a newsletter across your <laughs> empire. You know? <laughs> That's amazing. You got me to cough. <laughs> you want your face everywhere. So people know like, oh, it's this guy. This is the, the big kahuna. Exactly. Yeah. You're 100% correct. And... It was just important from like a, obviously a practical and a prestigious perspective, Prideful right? perspective, yeah. Yes. And I will say, you know way more about the man than I do, but what I do know about Augustus is he's got an ego. He has a massive ego. So he's not going to like this. He's not. He's not. So in the most famous such case of these statues being destroyed or stolen, the Kushites cut off the head of one bronze statue and actually bring it back to the capital city of Miro. And it gets worse. They bury it in the sand and build a temple of victory over it. And in fact, oh, the head of the statue would be situated underneath the entrance, like right underneath the entrance of this temple. Mm -hmm. So you would essentially like walk over the head, like entering a temple of victory. Walk over Augustus. Over Augustus's decapitated head. Obviously, his the statue. The symbolic. The symbolic stat. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's some heavy symbolism. Exactly. This I is, feel like that's pretty metal. It is very metal. Like yeah. no pun intended. <laughs> Get it? It's bronze. It's bronze. Metal. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> that's why we're married. <laughs> I know. I feel like I was BoJack Horseman there for a second, like over explaining the joke. <laughs> Do you get it? Do you get it? Here's 10 pages. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Okay. ADHD in check, Andrew. Let's do this. In okay. Check. Obviously, a gigantic slight to Augustus, right? Yeah. He's going to take this very personally. I think, is, I think it is personal. Yeah. It's, it is personal. Amana Reynas, is she's going to pay a big price. She's going to pay the price for this. <sighs> so. But she's so thug. She is thug. <laughs> I don't want her to pay the price. She's going to pay the price. So 24 BC rolls around and Gaius Petronius, he's the new prefect of Roman Egypt. He leads an army with troops like from that were mainly from the Arabian Peninsula expedition. Mm -hmm. They have like a modest yet formidable army at around 10,000 legionaries and okay. as well as about 800 cavalry. Okay. So not as many, not nearly as many troops as the Kushites, mm -hmm. but enough to cause serious issues mm -hmm. for Monoranus. And at first, this uh, this force marched against Aswan, and he it met a, a force of thirty thousand Kushites. Right? Gosh. Yeah. Um, despite being outnumbered three to one, though, the disciplined, well-equipped Roman legionaries completely routed the Kushite forces. Um, they just fled in a bunch of different directions. And if you think about it, like, look, the Roman legions had state-of-the-art equipment. Mm -hmm. They were the arguably the best fighting force like on the planet at this time, whereas the Kushites were fighting with axes, pikes, and simple swords. Much more informal. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This is like, they were like pro-athletes, the Romans, and this was like 
a community college team or something. Yeah, I'd yeah. say that's that's fairly accurate. And so we know that Monoranus was in the city of Napata with her son, like further to the south. Mm-hmm. And Gaius Petronius knows this and starts his march taking the cities of Celsius and Peremnus. Mm-hmm. Monoranus actually sues for peace at this point and even offers to return all the statues and people that she took. <laughs> so... I know you're really upset about the statues, but I'll throw in the people too. (laughs) Yeah. So like a delegation met with the Romans in the city of Dhaka, like to do this in 24 BC, but the Romans not only declined this offer, but they, in response, they raised the city of Celsius to the ground and continue to move further into Kush territory. Oh my. Yeah. Big ouch. And we also think that it's during this time that Amonoranus' son, Akinadad, dies during the fighting. Mm. Can I just say something? You can say something, (laughs) yes. I always, even though it's very sad, I will always respect a leader that is willing to put their own body into battle as well as their children. Right. Because if you're going to ask other people to sacrifice their bodies and their children... I know that's why you I should do it too. I totally believe if like a president, this is my own personal opinion, but if a U.S. president wants to declare war on someone, you need skin in the game. They need to put their kid or their grandkids in there. Yeah, I mean the way presidents have been going, it's more like likely to be grandkids. <laughs> that's so true. Great grand probably be too old. Great grandkids. <laughs> Great grandkids even. <laughs> yeah, but like absolutely, like they need to be there. Right, like you can't ask that of your of the people that you are responsible for, if you're not going to give a little yourself as well. So, so far, Amanorena seems pretty badass to me as a leader. She is. Well, we don't know like a ton about her. All like all the sources is one, first of all, and it yeah. comes from a Roman. Yeah. Or someone with Roman sympathies at the very least. Right. So most likely angered by her son's death, mm-hmm. Amanorenus orders an attack on the Roman garrison that was left behind at the conquered city of Premnus. Okay. However, Gaius Petronius was an intelligent, incapable commander, and he knew this was coming. Mm. So he got to the city before the Kushites, um, and there was this period of time where the two armies are kind of just standing opposite of each other, not sure what's going to go on. Mm. This time, however... Um, no battle actually ensued. Oh. Yeah. So there was just a stalemate, and then peace talks were opened yet again. Augustus himself actually traveled all the way to Egypt to oh. oversee this resolution. Oh, shit. Like, this is how important it was. Yeah. Like, in his probably broader scheme. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. But the fighting must have been really tough for both sides. Yes. As the treaty was signed relatively quickly. And famously, the envoys to Augustus gave him gold arrows, Mm. right? A gift, and they quoted, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but they said it was either a gift for a friend or weapons that he would need to fight like them as an enemy. Oh. So they're they're basically saying like, these are some some really cool golden arrows, but you're going to need all the help uh, you can get if you can want to continue fighting us. Wow. So it's kind of like, a peace gift kind of like a threat exactly and that's why it's the source is very strange because it just seems like the romans are steamrolling the kushites but i don't think that's necessarily no 100 accurate because Be- if that were the case there would not be a peace treaty right Augustus and wouldn't be there it gets even more interesting because mm-hmm. um it's very favorable to the kushites 
Like, I'll get that into a second. But I could just imagine that in Gustus's mind, like, an invasion of Kush would be very costly in terms of both money and in human resources, right? Yeah. And, and troops' lives. And I, and if I were to put myself in his shoes, like, I don't think it's worth it. Like, okay. He's probably like, you know what? This is just, these. they're annoying. Like, they've been beaten. Like, they know when to kind of just, like, if I gave them favorable terms, they'll just kind of, like, he, like, he thinks away. they'll, yeah, they'll meet those terms and exactly. it won't be a problem. Like he knew, like, could the Romans defeat the Kushites? Probably. Yeah. But do you want to, is yeah. the juice worth the squeeze? Exactly. That's what he's asking that's, himself. And that's why he was brilliant. I, yeah. I, I have some criticism of Augustus, but he was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. You can't get to where he was without being brilliant. Right. He was just like three steps ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. So... He also had to deal with, and this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier, he had mm-hmm. to also deal with the very powerful Parthian Empire. Mm. They're the Iranian-based um, empire to the east. Yeah. In, Pres- in Mesopotamia and Iran. So, Their statues have amazing beards. Yeah, they do. Those are the Achaemenid Persians. Yeah. Incredible beards. And the Assyrians even earlier. <laughs> so... The peace treaty of 21 BC resulted in Rome withdrawing troops and remitting the tax claims from occupied Kushite territories. And in addition to that, Rome formally recognized Kush as like a legitimate kingdom. Wow. Very favorable terms to Kush. Yes. These are incredibly favorable. I can't stress that enough. Yeah, that's not usually how Rome dealt with rebellions. No, they would just utterly crush mm-hmm. like utterly crush them so queen Amarinus would rule for about another decade or so before finally passing away in around like 10 bc okay probably natural causes yeah mm-hmm. i think so so remember that head that i spoke of earlier that was buried underneath the temple yes well almost like two thousand years later it after it was initially buried it was rediscovered during an archaeological dig that is the coolest thing ever i'm so jealous so 1910 while digging at the ruins of what was once known as the city of miro um british archaeologist john garstang found the head and i i sorry weirdos i say i'm jealous because andrew and i both have uh fantasies about archaeology and going on archaeological digs i would love that so much i know and especially for me like i have a I would love to do archaeological digs like in Mesopotamia. Yeah. Like, that's kind of like, because for, for me, it's like the melting pot of a lot of different cultures I find fascinating and you can find them all there, right? Mm-hmm. You can find the Romans, you can find the Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Assyrians, the yeah. Persians, Seleucids, like Hellenist, other Hellenistic states. Like it's all there. Yeah. It's amazing. Anyways, enough nerding out. let's tell me about these guys that like lived my dream yeah so this head right Mm -hmm. it was buried in dry conditions and so because of that it was very well preserved for being like two thousand years old that's so cool and we'll we'll show a picture of it on our instagram uh, so you guys can actually check it out there Um, it's, it's very quite striking as it's made of bronze but the eyes are made of glass and calcite, which gives a more lifelike quality. That's creepy. So not only is it like you can see it there, like most of those statues now, like the eyes are gone, like they've been removed. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of like the marble mm-hmm. or the or the bronze. But yeah, this case, the eyes are still there. Oh my gosh. It's really, it's actually, it's quite neat. So does it look like, um, I don't like this about ancient statues. It has like the googly eyes almost. 
sort of, but it's really well done. It's more lifelike. Oh, okay. It's better. I think it's better than the googly eyes. <laughs> Sometimes they're just so creepy looking. They're so... <laughs> it's like the one area where I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. No, just get rid of that. It's like, you know, just get away with the the color just make it do the white yeah do do it all white yeah that's kind of cool. the marble looks pretty yeah, it really does <laughs> and get this you can even still see the statue's head in the british museum today what yeah so you, if you go if any of our listeners are in london you can go to the british museum and you just want to find the miro head that's just what uh. it's called m as in mike e-r-o-e the miro head whoever is in london Please go take a picture, take a selfie and send it to us. Yes, we will absolutely <laughs> post it. Yes. Live our dream, damn it. <laughs> Live our dreams. So <laughs> we're so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so I like totally lost my place. Oh, that's right. So Amanorinus would not only defy Rome, right? But her, tre- her peace treaty with the Romans would last for over 250 years. Wow. Yeah, and give prosperity. That's badass. Yeah. And they so she would, protected her people long beyond her reign. Exactly. She would give prosperity to her people for generations. That's a badass. Yeah, and obviously this the Moreau head is just a symbol and physical actual evidence of Monoranus's like rebellious nature. Yeah, we love a good rebel on here. We do. We yeah. really do. If you haven't noticed. I mean, my, like I'm a descendant of rebels, so. Mm-hmm. We covered one on an episode. That's true. Anyways, so ironically, though, a portion of Kush, like in the third century AD, would actually be absorbed into the Roman domain. Uh, but that's a different story for a different time. Mm. And obviously, by that time, situation had changed very, very much so. But her heroism, like in the midst of the most powerful empire in the world, is honestly just like nothing less than astonishing. Yeah, it's really like, I hope, I th- I think you did a really good job of providing context at the beginning. I hope folks understand that for anyone to do this to Rome, to Caesar Augustus, let alone a woman is in and get away with it. Right. Is insane. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah. I will say geography probably helped a little bit just because she's, she's far away. So far away yeah. from like Ro- Rome's power center, which is Rome. Yeah. But at the same time, like they didn't take these slights lightly. It were very. And Roman men really viewed women as less than. Correct. Yes. R- women they, were not seen as equals by any means. They, they were, were seen second, as property. Yes. I will say though, Augustus was not typical for most Roman men. He gave his wife Livy, uh, Livia, Livia, I'm sorry. A lot of freedom. A lot more leeway, yeah. Than it's most. Because she's smarter husbands. than him. Yeah, she was very smart. Yeah. I think she definitely used, or he used her to gain more power. Yeah. Another very interesting figure. Yes, we might cover her in the future as well. We could do, um, like, we both do it because we both love her so much. That's true. Yeah. Or even like the Augustus Livia power couple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So let's let's wrap this up here. Yeah. So she knew Amanoranus, that is, she knew when to fight and when to take advantage of a situation. Mm-hmm. But she also knew like when to throw in the towel and negotiate and be a diplomat. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's what made her so powerful. That's what made her so good. Like she didn't press too much, right? If she would have continued to fight, it might not have ended up 
or so well for her. And a lot of leaders do just out of hubris. Exactly. And she didn't have that, it seems. Yeah. So she, certainly like the mark of not only a great leader, but a true weirdo. A true weirdo. Only a weirdo would pull a stunt like that. That's so true. <laughs> so weirdos, this was the life and legacy of Queen Kandake Amanarenus. I love that so much. Yeah. She seems so cool. I can't wait to see the picture of the bronze statue. I just love this. Okay. Between the three. Between the three. Let's go. Zenobia, Boudica, and Amanorinus. Who's your favorite? Zenobia. Oh, that was really quick. Why Zenobia? She was like an empress, basically, of like the entire Eastern Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. And she did it pretty quickly mm -hmm. um, and she was only defeated because she went up against one of the most if not the most underrated military genius of the ancient world which mm -hmm. is Aurelian mm -hmm. who also happens to be my personal favorite Roman emperor so your favorites colliding it's like yeah two of my favorite people colliding I'm like guys no don't don't fight like mom and dad yeah I, hate I know when you fight. it really does feel like that <laughs> that's awesome but Amonarinus is a close second or third i honestly don't know i love them all i know zenobia probably just edges out I, i'd say amonorinus is two and sorry guys boudicca's at number three no that's okay we won't be offended yeah but <laughs> and we uh, won't tell them right and boudicca's <laughs> also like awesome so yeah they're all really badass this was such a cool great story that i literally knew nothing about i knew pretty much nothing about the kushites I mean, most people don't. So I mean, that's incredible. They're always overshadowed by Egypt. So yeah, yeah, I could see that. And I didn't know anything about Amanorinus. I'd never heard of her before. I know she's so really fascinating. I really wish we we knew more. We I didn't put this in my notes, but there was like a steely uh, found just shortly a couple years after the bronze head was found. And What's a steely, steely is just like a it almost looks like a tombstone or it's like a slab that has stuff written on it. Okay. And it's in her language, the, mm. the Miro, like the Mironese. Mm -hmm. I'm not even what sure exactly what the language is, but it, it hasn't been fully deciphered. Ooh. So once that is fully deciphered, like we might be able to know a little bit more about her, like her exploits from her, her perspective, right. not Strabo's. Oh, that's so cool. We should set up a Google alert for that. <laughs> I know, right? That's so, so cool. I also think some of the biggest badasses in the world are the people translating that stuff. Absolutely. I'm like, how? I So I don't know his name, but the guy who partially decoded or, tr or first translated uh, linear B, which is the oh. Mycenaean Greek language, yes. was a complete amateur. That's crazy. He was not a linguist. I think it's like, I think it's just a skill of pattern recognition, right? It has to be. So but people with ADHD like, are going to be primed for this. They must be ADHDers. That's who's doing it. That's right. Let's go. Let's go, ADHDers. It is really hard having ADHD, but it's more hard, I think, being married to someone where like both of you have ADHD and you just like both of you're like, ah! babe, this isn't time <laughs> to air your grievances <laughs> about the way our brains work. I don't know. And that's also probably something about ADHD. Just like, this is not the just... right time to share this. Let me share it right now. Yeah. It came across my mind. So I'm going to say it. Absolutely. I think maybe hopefully our candidness, our appreciation for pattern recognition and our love of weirdos 
which I think are all ADHD-like traits, is what makes the weirdos like the podcast. I hope so, guys. Tell I us. Hope so. How do you feel? How do you feel about it? How let us know in the comments on Spotify. <laughs> yes. Please let us know. Or also just let us know how you like the episode. Do you guys like the these sort of ancient figures mm. i mean i hope so that's on my bread and butter so i really hope so but i know if you like i mean stephanie's more of like the the more modern or like <clears throat> renaissance I, I enlightenment love, era I, I am more modern history for sure yeah um you're a modern girly i'm, I'm an mo- ancient man yes but i love hearing you discuss ancient history right and i love hearing you discuss the more modern stuff. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for this episode. I learned a lot. I know the weirdos learned a lot and you made me forget that I was sick for a little while. That was really nice. Thank you. You're the best. We appreciate you. I'm just smiling. It's like, yep. <laughs> just cheesing. Just cheesing. And weirdos, thank you so much for listening and for being here with us. Do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe or follow this podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can always keep up to date with us on Instagram at History for Weirdos. Or you can also keep up to date with us and get behind the scenes stuff on our Patreon. Which... By the time you're listening to this, there are some new behind the scenes already uploaded the Patreon. Yes, so. exactly. So thank you so much, weirdos. Until next time. Until next time, weirdos. Adios. Adios.